doesn't get much better than Mr. Bean, does it? Do you think Mr. Bean had much of a, a spiritual experience that day? Or the guy next to him or anybody on that entire side of the building? Before we lose the moment, I just want to start with this important reality right up front as illustrated in the clip that we just saw. There are important connections between my physical health and my spiritual health. There are important connections between my physical health and my spiritual health. Had Mr. Bean taken better care of his physical health, his body, by getting a little more rest maybe the night before, his experience and the experience of those around him might have been a little bit different. We're going to come back to this idea over and over today, that there are important connections between my physical health and my spiritual health. Brian, thank you for that introduction. I always love being back at Lake Point. Uh, Got to say, I've appreciated Brian's friendship tremendously since we met back in 2011 when we were getting ready to start Legacy Christian Church in Menominee Falls. I've loved getting to see all that's taken place at, at Lake Point over the years. I also appreciate the fact that Brian didn't say he's often looked up to me at older brother because I'm so much older than him, though th there is some truth to that as well. And I am all over kind of the feels this morning when it comes to memories. First of all, I grabbed this folio, which I use every time I speak anywhere. And I was reminded that it was someone on our launch team at Legacy that gave it to me over 10 years ago. And every time I speak somewhere since, I have, have used it. So had that memory. And then walk in here this morning, and Ethan Radke is here. And I remember Ethan being on stage at our church in uh, Menominee Falls. Like when you were in eighth grade, I think, you started uh, playing guitar in the worship band. And I think a few weeks ago, my daughter bought a... Uh, a compact refrigerator from your parents for her to take to her dorm room. So got to see your folks uh, a few weeks ago. So I'm just all over the feels and the memories this morning. So if it makes me a little extra emotional, you'll know why. Uh, my wife would laugh at me being emotional about anything. But anyway, let's go ahead and, and dive in to the message for today. Now, for several weeks, you've been in a series called Sacred Rhythms. This summer, you're digging into some spiritual disciplines, and I like how Brian explained spiritual disciplines the first week of the series. When he described spiritual disciplines as, quote, the stuff you do to keep your relationship connected with Jesus. That's great. Over the last few weeks, Brian and Jason have talked about the sacred rhythms of longing, solitude, scripture, and prayer, and today we're continuing by talking about honoring the body. Now that may, also, may almost seem a little bit strange and maybe even contradictory. Okay, wait a minute. We're talking about spiritual disciplines, and now you're talking about honoring the body because we tend to put up a barrier between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. There are things that we experience physically and things that we experience spiritually. There are things that can hurt us physically, things that can hurt us spiritually. There are disciplines that will help us grow physically. There are disciplines that will help us grow spiritually. I go to the gym to help me physically. I read my Bible to help me spiritually. I eat better to help me physically. I pray to help me spiritually. We create these two different realms that rarely, if ever, intersect. But earlier I said there are important connections between our physical health and our spiritual health. And today we're going to look at the example of a guy named Elijah. Something specific that happened in his life 
And we're actually going to unpack some connections between the physical health and the spiritual health of Elijah as we look at his story this morning. And there's sort of a companion book to this series that you've been encouraged to read, a book by the same title, written by Ruth Haley Barton. And I like how she sets up for us what we can learn by taking a look at this event in the life of Elijah. She writes, through Elijah's story, I realized that there is a very real connection between care for our body, our ability to continue deepening our relationship with God, and our capacity to faithfully carry out God's purposes for our life over the long haul. We're going to discover some of these connections between physical health and spiritual health as we look at Elijah's experience in 1 Kings chapter 19. Now first, let's set the stage for what takes place here. A few weeks ago, Jason talked about the spiritual encounter that Elijah had in a moment of uh, solitude in 1 Kings 19. Let's back up and we're going we're to look at what happened before and after and let's kind of set the stage. Elijah was a prophet. So when God asked to be his mouthpiece, his voice, to speak for him to the people of the nation of Israel. So Elijah is God's mouthpiece. And at that time, the king of Israel was a guy named Ahab. Now here's how the Bible summarizes the reign of King Ahab. See if you would want to be remembered this way. Ahab's son of Omri did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, they actually encouraged the people of Israel to worship another god named Baal. They built an altar, they set up a temple, and actually encouraged people to abandoning the one true God, the God of Israel, and instead to worship Baal. And understandably, God wasn't super excited about that. And so he asked his mouthpiece, his prophet Elijah, to frequently let Ahab know God wasn't happy with what was going on. And things sort of came to a head in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. On one team, we had the prophets of Baal. On the other team, Elijah, God's prophet. Both teams built altars, sacrificed a bull. Each team placed their bull on their altar, and the prophets of Baal went first. They cried out to to Baal for hours, asking him to send fire to consume the altar, and nothing happened. Then it was Elijah's turn. Elijah prayed. Fire from the Lord came and consumed not only the sacrifice, but the altar itself as well. On top of that, leading up to this day, there had been a long drought. Elijah had told Ahab that God was going to send a season of drought, a period of no rain, because of how Israel had walked away from him, how they were worshiping Baal instead. That happened. They'd been in a long season of drought. After this showdown with the the prophets of Baal, Elijah said to Ahab, God is going to send rain. And sure enough, a storm blew in. So all this has happened in 1 Kings chapter 18. Had to put Elijah on, on kind of a high spiritually. And then chapter 19 happens. Let's pick up the story in verse 1 of 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told his wife Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. 
So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. She's threatening to kill him. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some uh, some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Again, as we learned from Jason a few weeks ago, Elijah is going to have an important encounter with God in this place of solitude. But before that happens, Elijah sleeps And then he eats, and then he repeats that process again, sleeps and eats. And even in the words of the angel, we see that basically God is preparing Elijah physically for what he's going to experience spiritually. It's like God is saying, Elijah, I've got something amazing, a spiritual experience you will never forget that I've got in store for you. But where you're at right now physically, you can't handle it. For the journey ahead, you have got to be better prepared physically. Now, psychologists for decades have talked about a concept that's often referred to as Maslow's hierarchy of need. Psychologists by the name of Abraham Maslow back in the 1940s came up with this concept, and it's often illustrated as a pyramid. And at the bottom of the period, the first level are most basic needs, and it continues up and has seven levels with what are considered more advanced needs at the top. And it's sort of like a video game. You can't get to level seven until you've gone through level one and then level two and level three, all right? So Donkey Kong, you get sent all the way back to the bottom if you don't successfully complete the level, right? Okay, so that is kind of how this hierarchy of needs works. We don't have time to unpack it a lot, but here's the basic concept. If I am starving, if I am in danger of losing my life because I am not consuming enough food, that's a level one kind of need. If that's a need that is unmet there, it's probably not on my radar how much good I'm contributing to my society as a citizen. That's a level four need. If I can't even feel confident about surviving the day because I don't have enough food, a level four need, I can't even begin to process a level four need. Again, I've oversimplified it a little bit, but that's kind of the idea of this hierarchy of needs. And for Elijah, the fact that he was exhausted and hungry, a level one need, that was going to prevent him from being able to fully appreciate this mountaintop experience that God has in store for him. So God made sure that Elijah slept and ate repeatedly to be ready for what God had in store. So gentlemen, the next time you fall asleep in that chair, just tell your wife, hey, I think God's got something really big in store for me. Can you go grab the nachos? All right? Well, I first had this part of Elijah's story explained to me years ago at a pastor's retreat that actually was not too far from here. 
Up in Delafield, there used to be a place called Cedarly Pastors Retreat. Unfortunately, it's no longer around, but up until a few years ago, pastors and spouses could spend a week there experiencing a spiritual retreat. And my wife and I spent a week there, it's probably been 13 years ago now. And at the beginning of the week, the hosts, Andy and Nancy Hagen, they encouraged us to rest and to eat well. And they used this story of Elijah to explain why. When you're tired, it's difficult to experience great spiritual breakthrough. Just ask Mr. Bean. I remember Andy explaining many pastors who came to the retreat, they were shocked how much they slept the first couple of days. Sometimes multiple naps throughout the the day. They had no idea when they got there how physically exhausted they were. And until they took care of that, they weren't going to experience the things that God had in store for them that week. Again, important connections between my physical health and my spiritual health. We're going to move through the rest of 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to continue to point out some of these specific connections that we see in Elijah's example. And the first one is a stewardship connection. There's a stewardship connection between my physical health and my spiritual health. Let's unpack that word stewardship for a little bit. Here's what biblical stewardship is. It's the idea that God made me, I am his, and as I choose to follow Jesus, I recognize that everything I have, everything I am, I surrender to God. Everything that he's given me comes from him, belongs to him. I am simply a manager or a steward of it during my brief time on this earth. That's the idea of stewardship, that I am a steward of all that I have because God has given it to me. It belongs to him. And we often think of that in terms of our possessions, our finances, our belongings. I work for CFR, Christian Financial Resources. We talk about stewardship in that context all of the time. We work with churches to talk to them about how to be good stewards of the resources God has blessed them with. Bless them with. We talk with individuals and families about how to be good stewards of the resources they have. I can go on and on about my work, so feel free to talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, But right now, let's continue moving with this idea of stewardship, and let's recognize that maybe it has more to do with things outside of that circle of resources than we normally think. What if stewardship goes beyond our possessions and our finances and our belongings? Have you ever thought about your body and how honoring your body and caring for it may be a part of good stewardship? Let's pick up where we left off in 1 Kings chapter 19 in the middle of verse 9. Remember, Elijah's gone into the cave and he slept and now we pick up. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Let's pause right there. The truth is we could do a whole nother sermon on mental health and a whole nother message on emotional health and how they are tied to our spiritual health as well. Today we're just going to focus on the, the, the physical, but I just want to point that out because I think that there's a mental health thing going on here with Elijah Because his perception is a little bit different than reality. Remember what just happened? God showed up in a huge way. The prophets of Baal just suffered a major defeat. And this thing about him being the only one still faithful, God's going to show him how he's way wrong on that. But that's the reality that Elijah has created. And if he doesn't take care of that, it's going to hold him back 
spiritually. But again, we're not talking today about emotional health and mental health. We're focusing on physical health, so let's continue. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And as Jason told us a few weeks ago, there was the voice of the Lord. When Elijah heard it, He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Question gets asked of him again. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah answers the same way. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. So Elijah has this still small voice encounter with God, a whisper that wasn't there in the the strong wind or the earthquake or the fire, but in a quiet, gentle moment. And then God and Elijah interact. And again, to be prepared for this, God directed Elijah to care for his body, to eat and rest, which prepared him for a 40-day journey that brought him to this place to encounter God. Now, have we ever considered that maybe we are missing out on something that God has in store for us because we're too tired or too exhausted or too winded or too distracted by something physical to be able to experience it? Have you ever thought about the treatment of our bodies as a stewardship issue? I mean, maybe we've wrestled with the idea that our money is a stewardship issue and we've asked ourselves, how does God want us to honor him with our money? And maybe we've wrestled with the idea that our possessions are a stewardship issue. How does God want me to honor him with my home, my boat, my car? But have we wrestled with the question, how does God want me to honor him with my body? In fact, we find that phrase in the Bible, honor God with your bodies, written by the Apostle Paul. But before we look at that, I want to talk about pet peeves for just a second. Do you have any pet peeves? person who does not return the shopping cart to the cart corral three parking spaces away and leave it in the parking lot instead, the person who chews with their mouth open, the person who drives slow in the left lane, hello, why do you think there's two lanes? All right, I'm going to confess a couple of pet peeves this morning. I have several. I'm only going to admit to two. The first one is misuse of the word literally, okay? The word literally has a definition, and I think a lot of us have forgotten it. We've come to use literally to just add emphasis to something, forgetting that when we use that word, it actually has a meaning. It means that something that could be understood figuratively, in this case, I mean literally, right? Like actually happened the way the words say. I remember not too long ago watching the weather on the news, and the meteorologist said, We're going to get a lot of rain from this storm as it literally drags its feet across our area. What? A storm does not have feet. A storm cannot literally drag its feet across a region. It can figuratively drag its feet across our region. It cannot literally drag its feet across our region. Hey, Mr. Meteorologist, you may have aced Meteorology 401, but you are flunking English 101 right now, pal. Okay, I get a little bit 
worked up about this. It is a pet peeve. I feel very passionate about it. Someday I want a t-shirt that says, misuse of literally makes me figuratively insane. I think it's a perfect shirt for me. And if you suffer with that pet peeve, it'd be a good shirt for you too. But the second pet peeve that I will admit to this morning is when someone takes a verse or part of a verse pulls it out of its context and uses it to say something that when we look at the context of that phrase or that verse, actually had a really different meaning as it was attended, intended in Scripture. And we're going to look at a couple verses where often a phrase is pulled out of context and I think sometimes misunderstood. So that said, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in verse 19, we read this, do you not know that, and then this is the phrase that often gets pulled, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, and that's all that gets pulled out, and some kind of conclusion is often made about that. Come back to that in a second, but the the full verse says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? Then verse 20 says, you are not your own, you were bought at a price, and here's that phrase, therefore honor God with your bodies. Now, I've heard many times people who take that phrase, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, used to make some kind of application like, wouldn't you want your church building to look good? Wouldn't you want the temple of God to look good? So don't you want to take care of your body? Almost like your physical appearance somehow honors God and I don't think that's what the point is here. In fact, I heard one Christian comedian in talking about her own size and her own weight say, why would I be content with building God a chapel when I can build him a cathedral, right? Okay, so I think maybe we're misunderstanding this verse a little bit if we apply it that way. In context, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in the city of Corinth, wasn't talking about the appearance of our bodies, Verse 20, he says we're to honor God with our bodies. And if we go back one more verse, we find out even more specifically what Paul was talking about. Back in verse 18, Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And it's then he says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? That's the context of Paul's comments about our bodies being temples of the Holy Spirit and honoring God with our bodies, it's not about appearance. It's about avoiding sin, specifically avoiding sexual sin. If we are being good stewards of our bodies, recognizing everything we own, everything we are belongs to God, we're to use it all to honor him, including our bodies, then we have to ask, is using our body to engage in sin honoring to God? No. So there is a stewardship connection between my physical body and my spiritual well-being. Using my body to honor God helps me move forward spiritually. And when it comes to having spiritual encounters like Elijah, not like Mr. Bean, and making sure that I'm honoring God with my body, not using my body in ways that would dishonor God is an important part of that stewardship of our body. So there is that stewardship connection. In addition to that, there is a responsibility connection between my physical health and my spiritual health. Let's go back to where we left off, verse 15 of 1 Kings chapter 19, the story of Elijah. The Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came, go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, so he's going to replace Ahab. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, 
And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. And here's where he corrects some of the wrong thinking that Elijah mentioned earlier. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. You think you're alone, but you're not, Elijah. Here's reality. All whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Now, as a prophet, God's mouthpiece, Elijah had some responsibilities, things that God expected him to do in that role as a prophet. That included anointing rulers and appointing his successor as a prophet. And if Elijah was exhausted physically, didn't have enough energy to do those things, he would be falling short when it came to his responsibilities. Now, I've had to recognize as a father, as a husband, as an employee, As a follower of Jesus, I have certain responsibilities. And if I don't do what I can to be healthy physically, I can fall short when it comes to those responsibilities. Feeling like I'm falling short in those things can hold me back spiritually. You see, our bodies, they do become the vessels through which we serve others. The vessels through which we provide leadership. The vessels through which we inspire and encourage others. And the health of that vessel affects our ability to do those things. Paul also writes in Romans chapter 12, the first couple of verses, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our bodies as living sacrifices, serving, leading, inspiring. As we live out those things through our bodies, it's an act of worship. And worship is certainly a spiritual thing. Again, important connections between my physical health and my spiritual health. And we've looked at the stewardship connection and the responsibility connection. Now let's talk about the mission connection. Let's see what happens next with Elijah in the remaining few verses of chapter 19 in 1 Kings. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Quick pause right there. That what have I done to has often been kind of confusing as I've read it. Here's how I understand it. Elijah has just asked Elisha to be his successor, to take his place as God's mouthpiece. Elisha recognizes that and comes to Elijah and says, before I follow you, can I say goodbye to my father and mother? And I think Elijah just has kind of a moment of honesty where he realizes, I know what my life has been like as a prophet. I've just asked Elisha to enter into that life. And Elisha understands it means a change in priorities, and he needs to say goodbye to mom and dad. And Elijah goes, wow, I I know how tough my life as a prophet has been. Elisha's just said yes. He's now asked to go tell his mother and father goodbye. Elisha, what what have I just asked you to do? This is a big thing. What have I done to you? So, So that's a question I've always struggled with I wanted to address right there. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. See, Elijah had been called to a mission, being God's mouthpiece to the people of Israel. But that was a mission that needed to continue beyond the life of Elijah, right? 
Elijah needed to appoint a successor, Elisha, and needed to invest in him to prepare him to continue on in Elijah's place. See, the mission to be God's prophet, God's mouthpiece, it was bigger than the life of Elijah. Even after Elijah, someone needed to still fulfill that role. And so Elijah needed to invest in Elisha so that the mission of being God's mouthpiece could continue beyond him. Physically, he needed to be able to pour into Elisha's spiritual development so that God would continue to have that mouthpiece, that prophet, that voice to the people of Israel. And likewise, God has created each of us with a purpose. He created us to do good things for the sake of Jesus, we're told in Ephesians chapter 2. And the healthier we are physically, the more we're going to be able to do the things for which God created us. Whether that's serving the poor, volunteering in a ministry in the church, doing good in my community. The healthier I am physically, the better I can do the mission that God has called me to. Rick Warren, pastor at Saddleback Church in California, author of The Purpose Driven Life, said this. The Father made your body. Jesus paid for your body. The Spirit lives in your body. You better take care of it. And Wayne Cordero, pastor of a large church in Hawaii. Why is it we love quoting pastors from Hawaii and California? We never quote pastors from Milwaukee. I don't know why that is. But Wayne Cordero, pastor of a large church in Hawaii, said this. God's given me a great ministry with a great opportunity to make a big difference in a lot of lives. So I've got to take care of this physical body so I'll be around as long as possible to serve him as best as I possibly can. God has a mission for my life. He has things he wants me to accomplish for him. If I'm going to surrender my body to him, for him to use for his mission, I should take care of it in a way that would allow me to serve him as fully as possible with that body. So in order to be as effective as possible in living out that mission for my life, what do I need to do in order to take care of my body? In a moment, we're going to think about some specific commitments that we might need to to make today as we think about our physical bodies and their connection to our spiritual health, whether it's in terms of stewardship or responsibility or mission. And I'm going to suggest some specific areas of commitment that we want to consider. But before we do, before we consider those, I do want to say this. Some of us have some aspects of physical health that are outside of our control. Chronic illness, Maybe something that feels like a, a physical impairment. And so as we think about making some commitments about our physical bodies, let's think about the things that we can influence. For example, at this point in time, if you struggle with diabetes, you may not be able to choose whether or not you have diabetes, right? But you can choose a lifestyle that causes it to hold you back more or to hold you back less. Maybe you've recently been in an accident that left you injured. You can choose what helps you recover well or choose what causes setbacks in that recovery. So that said, let's consider some areas of commitment when it comes to our physical bodies. The first area is the area of rest. Do you need to make a commitment when it comes to rest? You may need to recognize, yeah, I'm... 44 years old, but I need a bedtime. I don't function as well if I'm not in bed by whatever time it is. Or maybe it's, maybe it's a little more than that. Maybe it's recognizing, you know, when I do go to bed, I struggle falling asleep because my head is just racing. So what do I need to do? What do I need to commit to? Maybe I, maybe I know that if I go to bed 10 minutes earlier and read, then I fall asleep better and I rest better. What's a commitment that you can make to rest more? to care for your physical body. 
The second area I want you to consider is fuel. We can put fuel into our body that helps our body, or we can put fuel into our body that doesn't help it so much. And yes, I'm talking to me right there. So what decisions, what commitments do you need to make when it comes to how you're going to fuel your body? The next area is health. I'm going to throw a couple things into there. The health of your body may mean that you make a commitment when it comes to physical activity. To keep your heart healthier, to keep your body healthier. What is a a commitment there? Do you need to to find an accountability partner? Because we all know we can make a commitment today about what we're going to do tomorrow morning. And then the alarm clock goes off tomorrow morning and it all gets thrown out the window. Do I need somebody to keep me accountable? Do I need a workout buddy to make sure that that happens? But the other side of that that I want us to think about is maybe medically. Is there something you know you should talk to the doctor about but you've been putting off because you don't want to deal with it? Or maybe you know that um, the doctor's prescribed something but you don't really want to take it even though you know it would help. What are some medical decisions, commitments to keep ourselves healthy in that area. And lastly, thinking about what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians about our bodies being temples of the Holy Spirit, is there a purity commitment that I need to make? If I know that I am dishonoring God with my body, it's going to hold me back from moving forward spiritually. So is there a commitment I need to make to stop doing something that dishonors God with my body? And again, what does that look like? Do I need to talk to someone and ask someone to be an accountability partner? Do I need to go further and look at installing software or changing what happens when I go on the road for work? What can I do to maintain purity so that I don't dishonor God with my body? As you consider those different areas and what your commitment might look like, I'm going to share a little bit personally. And honestly, I struggled a little bit with it. I'm still struggling with it in this moment because I don't want it to sound like, man, look what I've accomplished. Please don't hear that at all. Here's what I hope it sounds like. I understand how this can be tough and how I've had to come face-to-face with it myself and and had to recognize how physical health can affect us spiritually. I managed to go through some photo archives, and I found a photo of when I spoke at Lake Point, not the last time, but uh, right at two years ago. And I think we have a photo of that um, that we can share. Do we have that? Perfect. A little bit different. So the, the truth is that um, the guy that was standing on this stage then carried about 65 more pounds than the guy who's standing on stage right now. And uh, again, don't think it's about, oh, look at the difference in appearance. Then I was on medication for high blood pressure. I wasn't sleeping well at night. Clearly, I wasn't eating well. Certainly wasn't trying physically to keep my body in shape. My wife was concerned about my breathing at night because it would seem like I would stop breathing for a while, but I refused to go talk to the doctor about it for a long time, and I could go on. You see, for a long time, I felt that there was something spiritual, noble even, about focusing on doing good spiritual things at the cost of physical health. And I had to come to realize, again, as a husband, as a father, someone involved in an important ministry, 
as a follower of Jesus with a God-given mission while I'm on this earth, I had to recognize that in order to better accomplish those things, I need to better care for the physical vessel God has given me through which I could accomplish those things. I needed to work on being more physically active to get my heart healthier so I could get off the blood pressure meds. I needed to start using a dumb CPAP machine that I still hate so I could sleep better at night, but I still use it. I used it last night so I could get more rest. It meant I needed to eat better and think about how I was fueling my body so that I was fueling the mission that God has for my life, not finding a source of comfort in food. Now, don't worry. I am fully aware of the fact that I am still a middle-aged man with a dad bod. But I hope I'm in a spot where the trajectory of my spiritual life is better than ever because of the commitments I've made when it comes to physical health. And I hope you're encouraged to work toward the same. In fact, would you pray about me with that? Father, thank you for a chance to look at the example of the life of Elijah. Father, thank you for the reminder that what's going on with us physically, absolutely can affect us spiritually, can move us forward, or can certainly hold us back. Thank you for showing us how Elijah was able to prepare physically through rest and nutrition to encounter your still small voice at the mouth of a cave on a mountain. Father, we pray that whatever we've allowed physically to hold us back spiritually, Father, we pray that you've shown that to us. We pray that your spirit in us will empower us to make the right commitments and follow through, to break through that barrier and experience everything you have in store for us. Father, help us to identify the mission you have for us and to honor you with our bodies physically so that spiritually we can accomplish that mission. We pray in Jesus' name.